Thanks to Nefi, the National Endowment for Financial Education, for sponsoring live podcasting at FinCon 19. Welcome to the Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Fi Show, but I cannot be doing this thing by myself. I got my amazing co-host Justin here with me. What's up, man? Not much. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the most exciting week this week for me other than trying to just get, you know, continuing to get back into running and getting prepped for going on a trip down to Texas next week. So I guess I'll take this week off easy, but how about yourself, Cody? Yeah, man. Well, I know we've been running together a little bit down in Mississippi, so I'm glad. I think you told me your run time is what now, like an 830 mile pace for five miles? It's getting there. Yep, yep. Pretty solid, man. And I just had my big move, so now we are a whole lot closer than we were before. For listeners, we are both in Massachusetts, but I was living in the Central Mass area. Now I moved over to Boston, so I'm a lot closer to Justin, but man, it was a hectic move. Just a lot of moving pieces, but I'm glad to be here. And Justin, just one sec real quick. I just want to thank all the listeners. We have honestly, in the past six months, our listenership has grown exponentially. So thank you to everyone who's listening. And with growth, that means people start to notice us. And we have gotten... So many different companies reaching out, wanting to sponsor the podcast, but some of them just don't feel right. They don't feel like they're a good fit, but we finally got a sponsor that Justin and I will both proudly stand behind, and that sponsor is Skillshare. Exactly, Cody. I mean, big shout out to the listeners for getting us to a point to where we can finally say, the Fi Show is brought to you by Skillshare. I mean, Skillshare is this really cool online learning community where they've got thousands of classes covering all these different creative skills or entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography to creative writing. I know I'm really excited about looking at the Instagram for business because we're always trying to make the Show assets look a little better online to attract more people. So you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare. You will get two months of unlimited access to all of their courses. All you have to do is go to Skillshare.com slash Show. That's Skillshare.com slash Show. And now, Cody, back to business. I mean, we have two awesome guests on today, Carl and Mindy Jensen. They tell a great story that goes all the way from starting out with real estate all the way to the point where Carl actually gets sprayed in the face with human feces. Don't miss this one. Take it away, Carl and Mindy. Yeah, sure. So I was just a normal, average jerk uh, working a job. And one day I had a really bad day at work, so I put into the Google something like, how do I retire early? And uh, I discovered there's this whole fire thing, and I didn't have to work until I was like 65 or 70. So I'm like, the heck with my job. I'm going to continue saving up money, working even harder, and retire. So I did that. I was 37 when I discovered this whole thing, and I quit my job about two years ago at the age of 43. So I am done with work. My name is Mindy Jensen. I'm his wife, but I also am the podcast host of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast and the community manager for BiggerPockets.com, where we teach people how to invest in real estate. Now, Carl, one thing you didn't mention is the the co-working space, which is something I was kind of interested in. I'm just, how did you end up stumbling upon that? Yeah, well, it turns out that Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, everyone knows who he is, wanted to expand the space. At the same time, we had some spare change in our pockets. So we're like, hey, Pete, if you want to partner, uh, we would love to be a part of this thing that you're doing in Longmont. We happen to be Pete's neighbor, actually. We're a couple blocks away from him. So he's like, yeah, sure. I think it'd be great to have more friends involved in this co-working space. So we gave him some money. He gave us personal ownership. And now I spend uh, a lot of my waking hours at the co-working space. So earlier before we got started, Mindy was kind of saying that you're a little bit of a workaholic. Do you think this was just to feed that addiction in reality and you just couldn't stay retired? 
Excuse me. I didn't say he's a little bit of a workaholic. I said he is a hardcore workaholic. <laughs> yeah. So I have some financial insecurity. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Can we get the sound effects? Okay. So, so anyway, when I was a kid, it's not that my parents were bad people, but they weren't super smart about money either. So I saw we kind of struggled a little bit. So, and it put this terror in me as a kid. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to have to put my kids through some of the difficult conversations we had. Like, are we going to lose our house? Cause dad has lost his job again. So I need, I'm like, as soon as I go to college, I need to major in something that's good. I was the first one in my family to go to school. And, uh, when I got a job, I just started hoarding money. And then we started flipping houses at, uh, just pedal to the metal, working hard and like shoveling all our money away. I'd like to say this is a good thing, but it actually was a bad thing because it was out of this financial insecurity. So, for example, I used to wake up in the middle of the night all sweaty and I'd have these nightmares that I got fired from my job. Most people dream about waking up naked or going to the dentist or <laughs> whatever the hell most people dream about. I dreamt that I lost my job and it turned out that never happened in the course of my working career. But it forced me to save and hoard money. So I wasn't the healthiest person mentally as far as that goes. And I don't even remember what your original question was. <laughs> but now I'm retired because of this financial insecurity. So they were telling you that you're a bad person for being a workaholic. I'm true. pretty sure that's how that was framed. Truth. Um, Hashtag truth. So I would actually like to get his former boss on a podcast at some point and be like, hey, did you ever think about firing Carl? And I'm sure his former boss would be like, oh my God, he was the best employee ever. He <laughs> always did what he said he was gonna do. He was always on time. He was always perfect in every way. And here's Carl, oh my God, they're gonna fire me. And his boss is like, I hope Carl never quits. Like, it's funny how he thinks this. And I can see from an outside looking in, you're doing everything. Have you ever guys, have, have you ever guys, have you guys ever worked? You guys, you're, yeah. in, the, you're <laughs> in the military. Have so ever you worked? worked. <laughs> yeah. Cody, no, barely, like, barely. Cody like went barely. from college to retirement, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I used to cook chicken at KFC. I've done some work. Okay. Oh, that's so intense. Have you ever worked with somebody who was just lazy as, oh, what yeah. is it? Lazy AF? Is that what? That's is how you that say the, it? Is that the way you say it? You've worked with people who are lazy and you're like, why are they not getting fired? Meanwhile, Carl is like Mr. Reliable. You could set your watch to his time, but he's sitting there thinking, oh gosh, I hope they don't fire him. And I think that's a really interesting point where, you know, somebody who is so money insecure is worried about getting fired. And somebody who is clearly not firing on all pistons is like, oh, they're never going to fire me. Uh, they're so lucky I'm here. Like we've all worked. Well, not all of us. We've mostly worked with people like that. <laughs> so Mindy, it's kind of interesting because you are literally the opposite side of the spectrum. I'm pretty sure you went to school for a degree that you don't use at all. Nope. Now you have a job that you love. You love going to work yep. every day. You boast and talk about it all the time. How are you guys on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum? I just love to hear how that kind of works in terms of like your team dynamic. We are opposite in a lot of ways, but in the very important ways, we are the exact same. I. It sounds super cliche, but we will finish each other's sentences or he'll say something. I'm like, I was just thinking that. <laughs> You're reading my mind. And he will say something, or I will say something. He's like, I was going to say that too. So it's really crazy how we're in tune with each other. But I mean, he had a job that he was very stressed about. I have a job. I can't believe I get to work there. But I have also had that job that I was super stressed about. Like I worked at one job. I'm like, they're going to fire me any minute. Like I know, I guess it's actually the same as him. Like they're going to fire me any minute because why, I was a terrible employee. 
I wasn't qualified to do what I was doing. So it's like, oh God, every morning I would wake up. I hope this isn't the day that they figure out I'm a total fraud, you know? And when I got to bigger pockets, it was like, this is where I belong. I don't have that anxiety. I get up in the morning and, you know, sometimes I'll be running a little bit late and the girls wake up and he's getting them ready for school and I'm getting ready to go and they like start fighting because that's what kids do every minute of every day. They just fight. And I feel guilty. Like, oh, going to go have fun at work. Bye. And you're going to stay <laughs> here and fight with kids. So, you know, or listen to them like, so it's just, I don't know how I was supposed to answer that question because I totally forgot it. <laughs> it happens. So you just brought the kids, and I'm just curious, what point on your journey did you have kids, and how did that change you know, your outlook on what that journey was going to be? So we had children before we were on the path to financial independence. I think they were, what, three and five when we discovered this? Yeah, I think that's about right. So we had already had kids. It didn't affect our path to financial independence, but it kind of gave us a reason to have financial independence. I have a job now. I don't, because we're financially independent, I don't have to work, but my children are in school 35 hours a week, 40 weeks a year. I work 32 hours a week, 45 weeks a year. So we're pretty much on the same schedule. I still get to see them. I'm done working before they come home from school. I don't start on days that I'm not going into the office, I don't start until they're already at school. So they really don't see me working a lot. And we do have a lot of time for family. That actually is an interesting question that I, I want to propose to both of you. I know you're going to I'm work, already but... married. <laughs> <laughs> Cody's always trying. <laughs> so Carl, like when your daughters see you not going to work, is there anything that you're doing to try to instill like you guys should be hard workers? Do they completely understand what financial independence means? Like hey, we saved up this huge pot of money and now we can live off of it forever. I'd love to just hear a little bit about like how you frame that. Yeah, it's hard to tell what they think of it because uh, they know we're a little bit different. I could drop my kid off every day at school, pick him up. I'm the guy who's volunteering in the classroom. It's me and four other ladies because that's how society kind of is now. The guy is the worker. And if there is a stay-at-home parent, it usually is the, the mother for better or for worse. But uh, yeah, so I do try to instill a work ethic. I make them pick up rocks and pull weeds and move stuff around the yard and <laughs> they are not too happy about that but I remember my dad making me do the same thing and I think I'm better off for it so I appreciate it now I did not appreciate it then just like my kids do not appreciate it now they hate it and you would think that we are making them work as little slaves I can't believe you make me do this well believe it <laughs> we, we pay them too so they have nothing to complain about we pay them well too like five bucks a week <laughs> <laughs> So Carl talked a little bit about his upbringing, but Mindy, what was, you know, what were those conversations like when you were a kid? How did that shape the way you look at money? So when I was growing up, my parents have a lot of siblings. My mom is one of eight. My dad's one of seven. And when I was growing up, we would, this was before the internet. I know that's hard to believe. They would get up in the morning. They would take the newspaper on Saturday morning and a map of the city. And they would first go through the newspaper and circle all the garage sales they wanted to go to. And then they'd map it out the best way possible, the most efficient way. And we would go to garage sales for like seven hours every Saturday. Cody's laughing. <laughs> Justin's like shaking his head. Yep, I know that. I've actually done this before <laughs> with my hat, like, like pulling out the newspaper. And then, you know, you're like, I'm like nine years old over there trying to read a map. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And we're trying to go to all these garage sales. My aunt's just this crazy garage fiend. But anyway, so. Yeah. So we did that all the time. And 
I didn't know that everybody else didn't do that. Like, I'm the only kid who did that. Me and my sister, my sister's the same age as I am. So we're the only kids that are, like, doing that. But we didn't know any difference. So I didn't know that we didn't have a lot of money. I guess my parents were super, super savers and just like, oh, you got to put away everything and then spend a little bit. So it seemed like we didn't have a lot of money. We actually did have a lot of money. They just didn't let us know. And for a while, my parents had two houses because they couldn't sell one in the 70s. Interest rates were crazy. So they had to pay for two houses, even though they were only living in one. And, you know, I guess that ate up a lot of money. But then they made a lot of money at the end. But I grew up having enough. I knew I had everything that I needed and a little bit of what I wanted. But we didn't talk about money growing up. We didn't, you know, my mom taught me how to write a check, like physically write out a check. And I think she taught me how to balance the checkbook once, but that was it. Like there wasn't a lot of money discussion. So a common theme that we see on the show is that like a lot of people have come from either like a scarcity background where maybe they didn't know like where the next meal was coming from or poverty. At what point in your journey, so like saving is one thing, but people are scared of putting their money in say the stock market or a real estate investment. Like when did that switch kind of flip where you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do this thing and I'm not gonna worry about whether or not it goes up or down. Yeah, so I'd like to address both of those. Like, the, So I came from the scarcity viewpoint, and uh, it's only like I'm 45 now. Probably 41 was when the nightmares ended about being broke. But <laughs> yeah, as far as the stock market real estate, I was fine. As soon as I learned about that, I remember getting my first job, like at 24, 25, and uh, I knew that was the path to wealth. You were, I didn't do the right thing. I picked stocks, and actually I got lucky with it and made a lot of money. But uh, I didn't have any apprehension at all because I knew that was the way that People got rich, or at least I thought I was at the time, and it worked out well for me. So I'm thankful I had that mindset. You, There's a great quote I heard, and that quote is uh, that there's a big risk in being safe. So that risk is if you have all your money in your mattress or in a savings account, you're losing money to a fire or to inflation. So you have to take some chances, and you have to wrap your mind around investing if you want this fire thing to be real for you, unless you want to work forever and accumulate $10 million and live off your cash. There's no other way to do it. You have to be comfortable with investing in real estate or the stock market somehow. I didn't really start investing in the stock market until we got married and I assumed half of his wealth because what's wait, his wait. is mine. When did that happen? <laughs> 2002, sweetheart. Oh. Uh, but I started investing in real estate. I graduated, I lived with my parents throughout college and then I graduated college and I was paying rent on an apartment and I'm like, well, this is just throwing my money away. I need to buy something. So as soon as that apartment lease was over, I moved back in with my parents for a couple of minutes, saved up my like $12 down payment because this was a while ago. And I bought a condo for $50,000. And all that I could afford was this really ugly condo. But I don't have to live in an ugly condo. I can fix it up. So I did. And when I went to sell it, because he, when we got married, he had a house. And why live in a condo when you can live in a house? Which was my mindset. If you live in a condo, I'm not trying to offend you. We sold my condo for $75,000. But I put like, I don't know, $100 into it. I bought paint from the oops paint section. And I painted it. I made, I put tile on the floor. And I fixed the dishwasher was broken. I fixed the dishwasher. And it was great. And I made a lot of money off of that. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that again. So I wasn't really investing in the stock market. But I was about 26 when I started investing in real estate. And when you started doing that with real estate, how comfortable were you with doing the repairs and stuff yourself at first? Like, how did you learn? How did that skill set grow? When you're 26, you know everything. So I was 1000% comfortable with doing everything. 
And when the plumber doesn't show up, even though you've offered to pay him like 200 bucks cash because he's trying to make money without paying the IRS, and then when he doesn't show up and you're an angry person and you just want to spite him, so you go to the library and find a book and you learn like the 200 job actually costs like $3 from some washers from Home Depot, then you're encouraged to try to do more stuff yourself so you don't have to put up with unreliable people. So one thing I kind of want to dive into is the origin of 1500 Days, just the name of it, but also like where your mentality was at, at the point where I know it was probably kind of just like bookkeeping for yourself, making sure you're staying accountable. But was there a point where like, you're like, I need to get this message out and tell the world that this is possible? Yeah. So my story was back in October, 2012, I had this really bad day at work. It was super stressful. I think I lost about 10 pounds during the week. I, it was so bad. I was huddled over the toilet because I thought I was going to throw up just from the stress. So anyway, at one point in that week, I Googled, how do I retire early? And up came Mr. Money Mustache and J.D. Roth from Get Rich Slowly. And uh, these guys talked about how they retired like in their 30s. And the first thought I had was, oh, my God, what kind of a pyramid scheme have I landed upon? This is a bunch of nonsense. But then like an hour later, I read their post about the 4% rule. I'm like, oh, geez, this is just a simple math problem. And fortunately, we were savers. That money and security led me to hoard money. So we already had about probably close to $750,000 in net worth. So I'm like, wow. And I figured I did our calculations and realized that we would need about a million dollars. So that would take about 1,500 days to accumulate minus the uh, equity in our house. So about 1,500 days. And at the same time, I thought I should keep myself honest because I'm not immune to doing very stupid things in life. But if I thought if I have to write everything I do financially on the internet and I'm very transparent, which is kind of terrifying. So my net worth and all our spending and all our investments are right there on the internet, which hasn't resulted in many bad things so far. Please don't come stab me if you're listening. So I thought I needed to be transparent and I thought that would keep me from doing stupid things and it would be kind of fun to share the journey with the rest of the world too. So that's where the blog came from and that's where our goal came from. He also thought that there were no other blogs out there besides Mr. Money Mustache. <laughs> and, and J.D. Roth. I'm like, and oh, I'll Roth. be the third one. I'll be the third personal finance blog. And back then there was probably like a billion and now there's probably like a hundred trillion. <laughs> there's a lot of blogs. <laughs> the really important origin story, though, is where did the uh, fiction for dinosaurs and these beautiful drawings come from? <laughs> <laughs> so we were unpacking a box from a move from one of our living flips and Minnie's like, oh, my God, what? I'm looking at the dinosaur now. This does not translate to a podcast. But Minnie's like, look at this dinosaur. I'm like, well, let's throw it in the trash. She's like, we can't throw it in the trash. He's got a smile on his face. If you look really close, you'll see the dinosaurs smiling. So as kind of a joke, we started taking this thing on vacations with us and uh, taking pictures of them in front of famous places. His real name is Dinosaur Bob on the blog. He goes by Frugalsaurus. So then, as a joke, I probably had too much to drink or something. I'm like, ah, let's put the dinosaurs on the blog. And like, what the heck am I doing? The blog has always been about me. I write for an audience of one, and that's me. So I'm goofy. But anyway, then... People like the dinosaurs, so I'm like, I should go with this. Dinosaur Bob is now Frugalsaurus and is now a regular piece on the blog. And he has an enemy called Spendosaurus, which is a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> so even as quote-unquote retirees, well, Mindy, I know you're not retired. You love your job. But you have like 70,000 things on your plate. Could you just give us like a life update? Like, how are you making money? What are you doing for fun? I know you guys have investments all over the place. You guys are just living life. We invest in the stock market, index funds, which is like boring. That's one sentence. We also invest in various real estate ventures. We have a partnership on a mobile home park in Maine. 
the state of Maine. We have a co-working space in the downtown section of Longmont. We have a variety of syndication deals that we have invested in. We have a self-directed solo 401k and the benefit of having maxed out our 401ks for a long time. We took those all from past employers, collected them into one big pile, and now we can invest that however we like. We make money through live-in flips still. We are currently in a home that we have been fixing up over the last six years. We just, like during FinCon, we just got under contract on a new property, which is very unattractive, smells like smoke, has a pool in an area of the world that a pool is not a norm, so it's actually a negative. For most people, it's a positive for us. We have two little kids. Now we're going to be the cool people in the neighborhood. (laughs) And it's in a neighborhood where our children will have a lot more people to play with. So we are getting ready to, we'll close on that in a couple of weeks and we'll move into there and start fixing that up as well. So in addition to my actual job. (laughs) My number one goal in life is to wear the least amount of clothes possible. So the pool is going to facilitate and help with that goal. He's right. recording right now in a thong. <laughs> Truth. Middle of income in a thong. <laughs> so it sounds like you guys aren't really doing much. You don't really have anything on your plate. I'm totally kidding. But what are you doing for fun? Like, what does an average day look like for you guys? Well, one of us has a job. So an average day is one of us going to work. And the other one gets to get the girls ready for school and then has seven hours off to you know work on the blog and go to the co-working space. I should probably let you answer the question for you. <laughs> I'll answer the question for me. I really like riding my bike. We recently went on a bicycle ride across Iowa called Ragbri. We went with a bunch of friends, the Waffles on Wednesdays, the Big Ox Little Bird. Who else was there? Katie Donegan from oh, Pop-Up Business School. Katie Donegan from Pop-Up Business School and some random other people who don't have blogs who are no less important, but they're not public figures. So I really like riding my bike when it snows outside. I love to go snowboarding and I love to spend time with my girls. We do a lot of board games. We do a lot of walking. We do a lot of reading and, you know, just being a mom. So I would say the absolute best part about financial independence is, uh, and this is a big leap of comfort for me. In my life, I embraced certainty. Like I wanted to know what my job was going to be for the next 10 years, where my money was coming from. And now life has completely been flipped around his head. Now I love the uncertainty. So On a daily scale, every day is different. I usually get up, I have a certain routine where I'll wake up, I'll exercise, I'll go to the co-working space, help some people out, I'll write a little bit, but uh, every day is a little bit different. But every year is turning out to be different too. Like as a joke, we mentioned to a friend an idea of starting a brewery in Longmont in 2020. And and it was kind of not even a serious thing. And my friend's like, oh yeah, I think I would like to do that. that. That's interesting. And then I mentioned it to someone else and he's like, yeah, my friend owns a brewery in New York and he wants to move out to Colorado. So I think this is going to be a thing. So that's what's so interesting about fire life. You never know what's going to come your way, but you've got the time to embrace whatever comes your way. So if I would have had a job, there's no way I'd be able to pursue any of this. And that's just the tipping point. I have a webcomic, this ridiculous shirt, not translating to the podcast right now, but <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt right now. I put it on. I was wearing a thong a second ago, but <laughs> you can embrace and just do these things, whatever, wherever you want to go in life. And a caveat to this is learning to say no is very powerful skill too, because you retire and you're like, yes, 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 I'll meet you. Yes, I'll meet you. Yes, I'll meet you. And then before you know it, your day is gone and your year is gone. Poof, you've given all your time away. So you have to be strategic about it. I like how he says learning to say no, like he has learned how to say no yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so this random off comment, oh, I think I'd like to start a brewery sometime. I'm now looking for commercial space in Longmont, Colorado to open up a brewery. Awesome. 
So there was a couple of things that the audience didn't get to hear off the air where Mindy opened up her house to me to go skiing next year. And Carl mentioned that he's going to name a beer after me, the Sherpa Stout. But besides that, what about the future? What, you know, I know you said the brewery, but is there anything else like long term? I'm not talking about just like next year business ventures, but your, you know, your life. Kids move out of the house, all that sort of stuff. What's the big picture? So I'm sorry. The, the brewery isn't enough. The flipping, the, the flipping my house isn't enough. The actual having a job isn't enough. The uh, mobile home park in Maine, the co-working space. Gosh, I don't know. I'm I mean, glad I'm not like married Longmont to you. Forever? Is it, like... it is Longmont definitely until my children are have graduated from college. I moved around a lot as a kid. I never... So the house that I'm in now, I've lived in for six years. It is the first house in my life I've ever lived in for more than five years. And I don't regret that. I was a really shy kid, so I don't regret having that experience as a kid, but I don't want that for my kids. I want them to grow roots and, you know, be permanently rooted down. So I've got, you know, we're moving a mile away. It is definitely Longmont for the next eight to 10 years. And then after that, we'll kind of see. I would love to have a house by the beach. I would love to have a house in the mountains so that you can come over and go skiing while we drink Sherpa Stout from (laughs) what's the brewery called? The 1500 Days Brewery or the Financial Independence Brewery or whatever. Um, Cody, what's your favorite style of beer? Actually, I like stouts. I like milk stouts. Ooh, Cody Milk Stout. That doesn't rhyme. We're gonna I'll, have, I'll to have get a Sherpa Sour. He can take the Stout. Oh okay, my God. Yeah. there we go. Cody Milk Stout and the Sherpa Sour. I'll be a Golden Ale. Oh, Cody's the Golden, golden Ale. So come to the Cody and Justin Brewery, which we're going to run. You're not going to get any royalties from that. Well, this has been a ton of fun. We are recording live at FinCon again. You can probably hear some of the background noise. For people who want to keep up with either of your journeys, I know you probably have various ways where people can get in contact with you, read about you. Where's the best place you want to send them to? Uh, 1500days.com for me. I would say contact me at mindy at biggerpockets.com because that is the email address that I keep the cleanest. Sweet. Awesome. And before we let you go, we definitely got to ask both of you, uh, what's your number one tangible tip for somebody on the path to financial independence? Okay, so we are middle-aged right now, and uh, we have $2.3 million, which is sizable, and I'm happy about that. But the number one thing I can tell anyone What we did wrong is I was on a death march to retire. I worked 80 to 100 hours a week between my normal job and flipping houses. It was ridiculous just to try to get to this big number so I didn't have to work anymore. So I would advise anyone to do the exact opposite, to enjoy every single moment of life. Even if you don't like your job, find some way to get happiness and fulfillment and growth in every single day. And don't wish your days away because that is a toxic way to live. So enjoy it. Remember how I said he says something and I'm like, I was going to say that. I was going to say, enjoy the journey. I was also <laughs> going to say, don't marry a man who reveals your age on a podcast. <laughs> oh, um, is that prenup stolen? We don't have a prenup. What's <laughs> what? yours is mine. Wait, wait. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's right. Enjoy the journey because let's say it's going to take you five years to get there if you just power through it. But it'll take you six years to get there if you enjoy your life. So you have five years of misery or six years of good. Six years of good is so much better than five years of misery. So enjoy the journey. And if it takes you slightly longer to get there because you're not just powering through it, that's okay. In six years, it'll still be six years from now. So it's not like you're going to get some magical extra stuff just because you like blasted through it and you worked 90 hours a week. So enjoy the journey and don't marry somebody who reveals your age on podcasts. Okay. So the final question of the podcast is of course the most important. It's the wild card question. I'm literally thinking of it right now in my head. You guys have no idea what's coming, but you got to be ready. Are you ready? <laughs> Bring it. All right. So you guys have done a ton of fix-ups on like different real estate properties. I know you've done quite a few live-in flips. 
What is the biggest oops repair you've ever had where you just you redid it and then you just completely screwed it up? Oh, okay. So completely screwed it up. I don't know. But I was going to say cast iron pipes rot from the inside out. So it looks beautiful on the outside. And all of a sudden, there is a huge pile of excrement in your basement one day. <laughs> uh, so that was the biggest like, oh, my God, fix. What, what do we mess up? Yeah, well, I, I've got well, an add I mean, on to I'm that perfect. one along the same story. But <laughs> if you are getting your drain line cleaned up and you are interested in the process, the very wrong thing you want to do is to put your face over the drain line when the cleaner thing comes down the drain to clean it up. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You will get a face spray of stuff that no human being should get a face spray of. Luckily, my mouth was closed at the time. Ah, Thanks, yeah. I'm going to vomit. Yeah. I'm sorry to end on this note. That's a great way to end the podcast. You can smell that through your ears on that podcast. Oh. Yeah. Well, Carl and Minnie, this has been a ton of fun for me. I hope you guys had a good time. I appreciate you giving us some time and being a part of the show. I'm so honored that you asked us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Man, Cody, what a fun and hilarious episode. I mean, these guys don't hold anything back from talking about like real things, you know, like personal things like struggles that they had and kind of overworking and the, the mental barriers they had to all the way to Carl talking about getting sprayed in the face with human feces. What'd you think <laughs> about the episode? <laughs> Yeah, man, I just had a ton of fun. I mean, obviously, FinCon was just an amazing time. We got to reconnect with a ton of people we hadn't seen for so long, and I could not think of a more fun couple to have on than Carl and Mindy because they're just absolutely living life to the fullest. They're a perfect example of a couple who embodies the five life. I mean, I'm pretty sure they probably went through two cans of beers each while we were recording the episode, and we just had a whole ton of fun recording with them. And again, we see this common thread where people in the five space, people who have achieved this end goal of financial independence, they start with this frugality mindset, either from starting from legitimate poverty where you maybe don't know where the next meal's coming or you don't know if your parents are going to make rent this month or kind of in Mindy's case where her family might have had a little bit more money than she thought, but she had to do everything on her own. She had to pay for her own stuff with her own money, with her own jobs. And I think growing up with that mindset really embeds the value of money into people who grow up like that. And while that's probably a little bit more of a common theme we see where people come from that frugality aspect, I think the one thing that's cool are some of the uncommon things we heard in the episode, as in normally when we see people hit financial independence, they're just bouncing all over the world or all over the country or you know house to house. And Carl and Mindy, they don't want to do that. I mean, Mindy talks about how she lived in so many different houses growing up and how she wants her kids to have some stability. So even though they use this model where they live in a house, do long-term flips and sell it, they're just moving like a mile down the road and doing it again. They're not trying to jump all over the world. And it just kind of goes to show you that you don't have to, you know, hop on Instagram and see something crazy and go chase that if that's not your personality type. There's a lot of different ways to get there. And what do you know, Justin, another episode where real estate plays a huge, huge role in hitting that shiny goal of financial independence. I mean, these guys did, I think it was like seven or eight live-in flips, which is where they went in, like you said, they fix up the place and then they go and sell it within five years. I think Mindy actually said this is the first house she's ever lived in for more than five years. At the same time, they're also going in on syndicated deals on a trailer park. And then they're also working on the Mr. Money Mustache headquarters. So real estate is a huge part of their portfolio and a huge part of what kind of catapulted them to financial independence. And we see this theme time and time again. 
But real estate wasn't the only income source for these guys. It wasn't the only way they were saving for financial independence. When they called it and they said, okay, this is our fine number, they were well into the seven-figure portfolio. I think they were at like 1.6 or 1.7 million from reading their blog. And now they stated they're at like 2.3 million. So this stuff works, guys. Like there's just so many ways to do this. And obviously we spent a lot of this episode and kind of the intro and outro talking about how successful they are, how they got so successful. But I would be remiss if I didn't also kind of give them a plug for just being awesome people. And I think that's kind of another big part of this whole journey is not losing yourself during the journey. I mean, me and my girlfriend went up to Colorado Mindy gave us a tour of the Mr. Money Mustache headquarters. We got to sit down in it for an hour with Pete, who is Mr. Money Mustache. He gave us a chat. We go back to Mindy's house. She feeds us tacos. I mean, just very welcoming. And Carl's the same way. I mean, he's at FinCon. You turn the corner. He's having another little gathering. He's handing out free craft beers. I mean, there's just two really good people. And the other thing, too, that you notice is while they don't have to work, they both are just hard workers. I mean, Mindy kind of started this whole real estate thing and she was going in and fixing houses herself and she still works at Bigger Pockets because she loves it. And then Carl just can't stop working, even though he's kind of formally quit his job. You know, he's the one who kind of pushes going in half and half on the Mr. Money Mustache headquarters, the co-working space. And now they're even talking about opening up a brewery. So these people, when you are successful, it's not because you're lazy. And sometimes you can't quit not being lazy. And Justin, speaking of hospitality, they were actually super nice when we met up with them in Omaha. They let Grant and myself crash in their front yard. And by crash, I don't mean literally crash. We slept in the van outside. <laughs> so these guys are just the most hospitable, awesome people that just want to give them that shout out they deserve. But man, one thing I just can't stand about the... Whoa. What is it, Cody? It's the call to action, man. And today, the call to action, Justin, it's actually a really, really fun one because we know Carl and Mindy are huge craft beer lovers. They live in one of the hubs of craft beer in Longmont, Colorado. They have a ton of awesome breweries there. They just have a beer. (laughs) That's it. That is the call to action today. It does not have to be alcoholic. We're not telling you you have to drink and get drunk. Just have a beer, you know, kick back, relax and have a beer of your choice. That's a great call to action, Cody. And if you're not already following along with their story at 1500 or listening to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast and kind of keeping up with Mindy, another great way that you can learn more about their story is by going to the show notes over at thefyshow.com slash 1500. Now that's thefyshow.com slash 1500. And as always, we want to encourage you to join just an awesome Facebook group where you're welcome to come in and talk about anything, finance, entrepreneurship, whatever's on your mind at thefyshow.com slash community. And lastly, please go out there, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave that five-star review because it helps us spread the message. And thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. 